We are in part three of Christmas at the Movies, and I love this series, and I just love Christmas altogether. It'd be weird if I came up and I said I didn't love Christmas. I know it's kind of like cliche to enjoy Christmas. Most people do, but I specifically like Christmas right now because I get to see it all through my kids' eyes. I've always liked Christmas, but now having two little ones at home, Rachel, my wife, and I have Ezra, who's four, Joel, who's two, Christmas is just more wondrous. There's just something more special about it whenever you get to see your little kids going through all of this for the first time. Everything from decorating the tree, which historically has not been my favorite thing. I remember one time coming home and my dad and my siblings had done it already. And at first I felt really left out because I don't like being left out. And then I felt, wait a second, I get to enjoy a decorated tree without having to do the work. That was actually kind of nice. And then from then on, I tried to get weasel my way out of it every year until we had kids. And, and now having kids, I like being a part of the decorating because I get to see them being really excited. I also get to clean up when they break some stuff and that's okay too. I love the fact that they get so excited to see the Ninja Turtles, which I would, I would love to tell you that they're theirs, but they're mine, um, that get to hang on the tree. And they, they get so excited when they pick them up and then they put them on the same two branches every single time. You always say, hey, spread them out. They don't, that's okay. And, and they just are so excited. I love seeing them and their reaction to snow. When I see snow, I kind of get filled with dread. But when they see snow, they're like, let's go outside and play. And it makes me excited again. Oh, well, okay, maybe getting a snowball thrown at me isn't so bad after all. And then even hearing, the story of Jesus. We've heard it so many times. Sometimes it becomes so commonplace, but hearing it as a child and seeing them receive this wonderful story of Jesus coming to earth and and their questions about it and their awe and their wonder is simply contagious. I love seeing it through their eyes. So far in this series, we've talked about two movies, The Grinch and A Christmas Carol, and today we're going to be talking about The Santa Claus. And one of the cool and interesting things about these three movies is there is something that joins them all together. There's a through line. All three of them use a child in the movie to help us understand the narrative. You see, in The Grinch, we have Cindy Lou Who, and in A Christmas Carol, it's Tiny Tim, and then in The Santa Claus, it's Charlie Calvin. And all three of them have this hope about them, this joy, and they understand the reason for Christmas. Or for Cindy Lou, who she is discovering the reason for Christmas. And in all three movies, the narrative or the, the author of the, the movies or the book have asked us to kind of take the journey through their eyes. We root for them. We pull for Tiny Tim. If Tiny Tim doesn't make it at the end, we would be devastated. But he does because, and he, we enjoy it not only because he's a kid, but he has this, again, this joy and this awe and this wonder about him. And as we go into the Santa Claus, we see Charlie Calvin have that same kind of mentality. And so as we look at Christmas today, we're going to look at it through children's eyes, just because, not just because the movies tell us to, but because Jesus tells us to do that as well. When Jesus was on this earth, there was this moment where some kids were brought to Jesus and he allows them to come to him. And it was recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Now that we've received some words from Jesus himself, let us pray. 
Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. I pray that as we hear from you today and we hear from your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Pray that you'll get me out of the way, any other distraction out of the way and allow it just to be simply you talking to us and help us to draw near to you today and be challenged to be more like you and give us this awe and this wonder that a child has and let us have that for you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus not only says to the kids, to come to him. He says, let them come to me. But he gives us this big challenge. He says that we must look at our relationship with God the same way a child would, with the same trust, the same awe, the same wonder. Now, it is important to notice that Jesus calls us to be childlike, not childish. We're not called to like throw tantrums. We're called to trust. We're called to look at things the same way kids do. And they have a certain ability to take what they're seeing, to take what they're experiencing and believe in it without the distrust that we sometimes have as adults. And this leads us to our take-home point, the one point that this message is all about. It comes right from God's word. And I believe if we live this out, not only will it help us to draw us closer to God, but it'll help other people to see Jesus in us. Our take-home point is to be childlike, we must enjoy the wonder and awe of God. We must enjoy the wonder and awe of God like a child if we're really going to know and experience all that God has for us. And in the Santa Claus, Charlie understands this. He kind of encapsulates this idea, but his dad doesn't. His dad is more like us. He doesn't trust very well. He's pretty skeptical. And I, I find myself getting into the same boat as well. If you've ever had a phone call recently that isn't someone that you've saved, how hard is it to answer that phone call? It's much easier to say, oh, that's probably spam or someone trying to trick me or sell me something. I'm just going to let it go to voicemail and listen to it later. It's hard to just trust on the surface of things. We like to make excuses why we don't want to completely buy into stuff. And Charlie's dad was that way. See, if you've never watched a Santa Claus, it's really about a dad and his son. The dad is named Scott Calvin. The, the son is Charlie. And at early in the movie, we find out that Charlie's dad and mom are split up. And Charlie's mom is dating this new guy named Neo. And generally, Charlie lives with his mom. But for this weekend, he's back home with his dad. And Scott Calvin isn't a great dad. We find out that he cares way more about his job and his money. And he doesn't really understand how to interact with his child. And Charlie is just wide-eyed. He's this really optimistic kid. And on Christmas Eve, they both get to experience something pretty cool. They hear some noise on the roof and... Charlie's dad goes outside and and Scott sees Santa fall off the roof and then he puts on his suit, the Santa suit, and then they climb up, both of them, into the reindeer, well, the sled, they don't climb into the reindeer, they climb into the sled that the reindeer are pulling and then they get to go all around the world delivering presents and then they end up at the North Pole. And when they go to the North Pole, Scott finds out that he is the new Santa Claus. Charlie is pumped. Scott Not so much. So we're going to watch a clip of them waking up the next morning and Charlie being so excited and Scott trying to rationalize everything that happened away. Let's take a look. So both Charlie and his dad experience the same thing. They experience these awe-inspiring events. They were 
flying through the air with reindeers. They saw Santa's shop, all these cool things. And in the morning, they chose to perceive what happened very differently. Charlie was filled with awe and wonder. He was so excited, but Scott was trying to rationalize all of it away. You could see right away that he's pretty jaded. So he's trying to come up with some other rationale for why these amazing things didn't actually occur. He was even more willing to suggest that the waitress at the restaurant bought him PJs rather than he got them from the North Pole. Whatever it took to make it seem like it didn't really happen, he was willing to buy into. And it's crazy because how often do we do that as people as well? When we hear something, whether it's near or far, away of God doing something incredible, miraculous, something that we've never seen before. How often do we rationalize that away? We say, well, did that really happen? Is that, is that truly work of God or was that just a human thing or did someone kind of make that up? Are they trying to trick me? Or maybe you've heard from God. You've heard God speak to your heart, prompt you, give you some special word and you've gone, is that me? Is that just my voice speaking to myself? That maybe couldn't have been God. He wouldn't want to speak to me. Or maybe you've been prompted to do something for someone else, to care for someone else, to serve in some different way, to, to give money to someone, to give someone a hug, to reach out, to call for someone, to, to pray for someone and while you're talking to them in a conversation. And you've kind of stamped that down. You've said, well, maybe that's not God, maybe that's just me, or maybe that's some like indigestion kind of bothering me right now. And, and you make all kind of excuses. I do this as well. You might say, maybe God wouldn't want to use me anyway, so I, I must be hearing something wrong. We try to find reasons why what we've experienced didn't really happen. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask questions about those things that are happening, mind you. We should ask questions. We just finished a series called Q&A, Questions and Answers, where we specifically told everyone to ask questions of God. And if you miss any of those messages, I'd encourage you to go back and watch them. We ask questions and we look for the answers from God. We look for the truth. After all, that's what kids do. Kids ask a lot of questions. My kids ask too many questions every single day, but what they're looking for is simply the truth. They just want to know what's going on. And when they ask questions, they're not trying to trick me or trying to get me to say what I want them to say. That's what we do as adults sometimes. We ask someone a question, but we're really wanting them to tell us what we want to hear. I mean, last night when I asked my wife before I left, is this outfit okay? I just wanted her to say yes. I didn't want her to tell me to go upstairs and change again. I just wanted the answer yes. And we do that as adults too often. In the movie, we actually get to see Charlie ask his dad questions before they go to the North Pole. He asks him a bunch of questions about Santa and his dad's kind of struggling to answer. But it's evident that Charlie was really just wanting to know what is true. Later in the movie, we see Neil in the position of question asker. And he's asking Charlie questions, but he's not asking to find out. He's asking to try to trick Charlie or to get Charlie to say what really happened didn't actually happen. Let's see their encounter. I love his answers to those questions. As Neo's trying to trip him up, he stays strong. It's funny because you watch that and you look at Neo and his uh, ugly sweater. And you're like, man, I respect his sweater more than I respect his questions because he's trying to trick a kid to be like, wait, maybe I didn't see what I experienced. And so we do that as well. We might ask those same questions in our own head. But when we have questions, 
Let's not be afraid to go to God. Let's go to God with those questions. When we have doubts, let's go to God with those same doubts and ask him to reveal his truth to us. Watchman Nee, the writer of the book, The Normal Christian Life, once suggested this prayer for us to pray during these times when we don't know the answers. He said to pray this way, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, make this new thing clear to me. Lord, help thou my unbelief. And then he says, he, meaning God, will not let such prayers go unheeded. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer like that. I've used it many times. I had it earmarked it when I first read it and I come back to it. Whenever there's a question I have, I go, God, I don't understand this. Help me with my unbelief. And the cool thing is God always answers. He answers whether it's by when I'm reading God's word, I've asked a question previously. They go, wait a second, the answer's right here. Or I'm reading another book or I'm talking to someone that, that follows Jesus and they have an answer. And you go, wow, why did you tell me that right now? I, I was just asking God that same thing. Or it's through a circumstance in life or it's God specifically talking to my heart. And sometimes he goes, well, you don't need to know that answer. But a lot of times he brings up those understandings because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is the son of God who came and died and rose again for you and me. This is why Jesus told us to go and seek after him because we will find him when we do. So Jesus said this and it was recorded in Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. He says, search after me and you will find me. We have a good modern example of that, C.S. Lewis, who, amazing writer and, and wrote Mere Christianity and Chronicles of Narnia, was a man who was just seeking after the truth. He wanted to find what really happened at the beginning of time. He looked at history, he looked at science, he looked at all the different religions, and he came to the conclusion that the only thing that makes sense is the God of Christianity, is that Jesus is his son and he is who he says he is. It's because when we seek for Jesus, we will find him. Now, I've said that to people in the past, and some people have had kind of some skepticism about it. People have said, well, you find Jesus because you want to find Jesus. And I've said two things to that. The first thing is that whenever I was looking, well, I wasn't, really wasn't looking for Jesus. I was just wanting to, to go to a youth group and hang out. But Jesus found me. He pursued me. I wasn't hoping to find if Jesus was true. He encountered me. And the second thing is, the desire to find only aids the searcher in motivation. It doesn't actually help something be found. You see, if I go home right now and I look for a million dollars in my house, I could search as much as I want. I could have all the motivation and all the desire to find that million dollars. But I'll tell you what, I won't find a million dollars because it's simply not there. Now, if you had gone into my house and hidden a million dollars, first of all, thank you. Second of all, how did you get into my house? I would find it because it was there. Jesus is telling us to seek after him and we will find him because he exists, because he is the truth. Now, a lot of times you go, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what is true. Pastor Chris often says that whenever, if you, uh, whenever we talk about this, it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what is true. That if you don't believe in gravity, you can go to the roof of this building and you can step off of it and you'll soon believe in gravity because it's true whether we believe in it or not. And Jesus is saying the same thing is true with him. 
that he really exists. And if we want to look for him, we'll find him. I mean, not many things that are lies give that same challenge. If you're lying about something, you say, hey, stop asking questions about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Jesus says, you ask as many questions as you want. You keep seeking, you keep knocking. And what you'll come to conclusion of is that God is real. So there's no shame in asking questions about God. It'll help us be filled with this childlike awe and wonder. There's also no shame in asking to see the miraculous, marvelous things of God. Because a lot of times we might look in God's word and say, okay, I see all these miracles. I want to see them today. Well, here's the cool thing. We can ask for God to reveal them to us, and he will. We know that because of a guy named Moses in God's word. One of my favorite stories, this guy named Moses was was called by God to help free a nation of slaves out of Egypt, and then he was called to lead those people. And when he was called to do that, he got nervous. I mean, it was a humongous task. So naturally, he wanted to go to God and ask for some help. And God responded with some help. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 through 23. The encounter goes like this. Then Moses said, and he's talking to God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Show me your glory. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock, and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Moses asked God. He knows he exists already. He's already having a conversation with him, but he says, I want to see your glory. And God shows up. He responds. He does what he said he was going to do. Moses gets to experience God's glorious presence. And so we're all on the same page. God's glory is his supernatural nature of God revealed to us on earth. It's heaven coming here to earth. Moses asked for this and God delivers. Here's the thing though. When Moses would experience his glory and it wasn't the only time he got to experience God's glory, he would go back to his people And when they would see him, they would get afraid because Moses, after seeing God's glory, had this glow about his face. It was reflecting the glory of God and people got terrified. So Moses, after experiencing God's glory, would generally wear a veil over his face to protect the people so they would not be fearful of God's glory. You see, their sin kept them from really understanding and appreciating the glory of God. When we're separated from God, we can't understand why he's working, how he's working. We don't know about his glory, and so they were fearful. But here's the thing. God doesn't want a veil or anything else to separate you or me from God's glory. He wants us to experience him in the fullest way that he designed us to experience him. He wants us to be in a relationship with God and know his glory. That's why he sent Jesus to earth. And Jesus is God's glory revealed to us on earth. He's God's supernatural nature here in human form. And he came to remove this veil. 
by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the dead, he has removed that veil so that you and I can experience God's wondrous miracles, his glory on this earth today. People still get to experience that all around the world. It was written in in a letter to the church in Corinth by Paul, and he said this way, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's willing and he wants to show us his glory today. What a beautiful prayer that would be to to go from one glory to glory to see his miraculous works and then go and see another one of his miraculous works. And the more we seek after him, the more we ask this, we will experience them. As I was preparing to write this message, I knew I wanted to share a story of God doing something miraculous here close to home. We share all the time about stories from all over the world, but I knew that God was prompting to say something about here. I just didn't know what story. And as I was getting ready to, to write this message, Dave Neese came up to me and asked if we could share his story, a story of God miraculously healing him. And I said, absolutely. I was, I've been looking for a story like yours of God doing something amazing. And so Dave, his wife Janice, and their daughter Katie came in and they recorded this for us. So I want to introduce you to the three of them in this video and have you watch what God is currently doing on this earth. March 5th, uh, 2019. Uh, <laughs> get too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to the gym as, as I've always went about three times a week. I was upstairs, I did my cardio. There's a guy beside me on a treadmill too that was kicking my butt, so I was gonna stay a little bit longer which I did, and then I went downstairs. I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't feeling good. I came to the point which I got to get out of here. I never told anybody. I figured I could do it on my own. I got out and sat on my truck. Uh, it wasn't a very good experience in the truck. I was probably in there 15 minutes. All, all, all I could kept saying to myself is what's going on here? What's going on here? Uh, I passed out. I woke up again. I felt a little bit better. I tried to use my cell phone you know, to call my wife at work to tell her what's going on. The line was busy. I just had to put the cell phone down. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going home. I'm going to go home, which is only about two miles from the gym. Well, as I started to go in the back roads, I, God gave me the idea, go to your daughter's. But that Tuesday morning, I was home. Uh, Timmy was at preschool. And in my mind, my plan was to pick them up from preschool at 1130 and head down the Giant Eagle and get some groceries. And I had my other son, Ben, with me at the time. And we picked up Timmy and I'm buckling into his car seat. And I don't know, something just told me, just go home. Like I had no intentions of going home. I was going to the grocery store. So I swung in there. It was around lunchtime. She was sitting, standing at the island. Her two little boys were eating lunch. And I just said, Katie, you gotta get some help, man. I feel so bad. This is where, this is how I know that something serious happened. I looked over at him. 
he was white as a ghost. His lips were blue. And I'm not kidding when I say blue, his lips were blue. Like he had no oxygen. Um, very calmly, I got him sat down. I got him a glass of water. Um, he was able to talk to me, tell me that he just didn't feel right. I called 911. I called my mom, who was just a couple miles down the road at work, told her she needed to come up. Um, in the meantime, it was just a very calm presence. So what happened, we got the ambulance, we got Janice and she come up to the house and uh, the ambulance came. They, I walked to the ambulance, I, I was feeling okay. So I got in the ambulance and then down to Fassifin Hospital, I was witnessing to the guy in the back. He said, you had a heart attack. I said, Okay. So I got to pass event. There was a Dr. Hunt in the emergency room. I'll never forget her name. Has some tests run. She came back and said, you didn't have a heart attack. I, I told her what I was doing at the gym. She goes, I want to get a scan. So, she, so they took me back in and they did a scan. They brought me back in the room and Katie and Janice were there at the room because they followed me. Uh, the ambulance into the hospital and um we're just talking you know i'm horizontal they're sitting in a chair just like you know i've been to the hospital before nothing's ever serious um, she came in with a concerned look she goes you have an aortic dissection she goes i'm talking to shadyside hospital right now we don't know what to do with you Ooh she left and immediately I said Dave do you want to call your church family and immediately that's what I did um, we had the whole prayer chain um, it was just a calming feeling for our family um, Pastor Chris met us down at the hospital and some of Dave's close Bible study group were praying and it just seemed like it went through the whole church I believe that's the biggest story behind Dave and his healing. They were going to life flight him, but there was a snow, snow squall that came through that afternoon, so they couldn't. So they ended up getting an ambulance right away. My mom and I jumped in the car. It was rush hour going through Pittsburgh trying to navigate the shady side. I get down there in the gurney. They wheeled me around. It looked like in a dark basement. And witnessing again to the, uh, the ambulance driver going on. There's just a sense of peace in my life. I was not afraid to die. And thank God for that faith that I have, that I was not fearful of death. And the gurney went through double doors of the surgery room. They said, you know, the guy beside me said, do you, do you know what's gonna happen? I said, I don't know. He said, we're gonna break your chest open. Okay. And as we were going in, there's like six people around, and I raised my arms. And this wasn't Dave Neese doing this. This is the Holy Spirit doing this, I'm telling you. And I said, will you guys pray with me? They said, yes, and they held hands. That's the last that I remember. I woke up, I was prepped, nothing. They put a camera down, down my chest and they could not find a dissection. They could not find the area, the aortic dissection, the tear. So after that, 
um, the surgeon comes out and he calls us all into the room with Katie and my son and their siblings and Pastor Chris. And we're sitting there and the surgeon comes in and he's apologizing. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't find it. I'm sorry. And so Pastor Chris and I looked at each other and we just said, yes, yes we know. We believe he was divinely healed. So then as time went on, I had my PCP got involved in it. I had a, an appointment with him and I told him the story. So then I went back again in about three months. And he said, you know what? I sat in on that conference call that Shadyside had with passive and radiology. And this was the chief radiologist that morning that looked at your, of your scan and all he could say that Zoom call was, I saw what I saw. I saw what I saw. And he's the only one that, my PCP is the only one that said it was a miracle. He said it's a miracle. I want to thank Dave and Janice who are here at the 830 service, but Katie who's here right now for, for being willing to come and share that wonderful story of what God did. After recording, Dave shared that there are about 300 diagnosed aortic dissections every year, and two people have to sign off on it before they go and do the surgery because they said there's a 50% life or death. It's the head radiologist and a computer software system, and it's designed specifically to see this, and they're never wrong. Together, they see it, they identify it, and they go to the surgery. They saw it, they identified it, they said, Dave needed this surgery. That's a 50% success rate. And God said, you know what? Let's make it 100%. We're just going to take it out because that's what God does. And he healed Dave in a miraculous, glorious way. And when we hear stuff like that, let us give glory to God. Let us trust in it. Let's not just keep going, oh, well, maybe, maybe this, maybe that. Let's trust that God is working, that he's doing this. Let us give our faith over to him. When we see the Santa Claus, we see Charlie do this right away, but it took Scott much longer. You see, whenever he interacted with the world, he allowed the world to change the way he saw things, change the way he perceived things and the way he thought of things. He let them convince him, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe what I, what I saw, what I touched, what I, what I experienced wasn't actually right. But then when he got around his son, Charlie, he started to see that awe and that wonder, and it was contagious to him. And he finally leaned into it and said, all right, this is the way that we're going we're gonna to believe in the truth that we experience. And their steadfastness and their belief in that ultimately convinced Charlie's mom and Neil of the truth that had happened. And I know that this is, that's a silly example, but it's one that we can learn from because we too can go to the world and start having doubts as well. As we describe what happens, people might say, well, did you really see that? Did you perceive it just a different way? And we might go home and go, maybe. But here's the, the, the trick. When we gather together, when we're united with other people that are seeing God's glory, we're hearing these stories, we have that awe and that childlike wonder that is contagious to one another in that unity. And then when we go back out, people will see our steadfast faith as well. And they'll understand the truth. They'll see it through us and our faith, and people will see Jesus in us. So let us ask for these miracles. Let us seek God. We'll find him. Let us ask these questions. He'll answer them. And when we get those answers, we see that glory, let's trust in it, and let's share it with people around us. And practically, the way that we can do that right now during this Christmas season is receive 
the Christmas story with the awe and wonder that it's meant to bring up in our hearts and our lives. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to end our time together by simply sharing the Christmas story. Now, this might be your first time hearing it or it might be your thousandth time hearing it, but I want to encourage you to receive it as if you were a child or as a child would or as if this is your very first time. You see, in the very beginning of everything, God created the world. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything, animals, and he created humans. And humans were his prized possession, man. Humans were created in the image of God, and he designed humans for a purpose, to have a relationship with him. He wanted us to be in a relationship with the God of the universe, to walk in step with God, to see his miraculous nature, to see him in the full glory of the Father. We were designed to get to know him and to choose him. God gave humans free will to choose God. He didn't make people robots that had to follow God. Again, he wanted a love relationship with us. So he created us with the ability to choose him. Unfortunately, people chose not to be in this relationship with God. They chose to do their own thing. And when they did that, they broke this relationship with God. Our sin separates us from God because he is perfect. But God didn't want this to stand. He wanted to make a way where once again we could join God in this relationship that we were designed to have. And so that's when he decided, or maybe he decided because he knew we were already going to do this. He decided to send Jesus to this earth, his very own son, the perfect king of kings and lord of lords, left his dwelling place in heaven perfect dwelling place that he was in to come into our realm with humankind to show us a way to be reunited to God. Now, he didn't come as a conquering king. He didn't come as a lethal soldier. He didn't come overthrowing governments. He came again to give us another opportunity to make a choice to go into this relationship, this love relationship with God. So Jesus came as a baby to a very humble family in a very humble way. He was born in probably what was like a cave that held animals in it. And after he was born, he was named Jesus, and he was put in an eating trough for animals. And that same very night, a star appeared above where he was born, and it shone bright so that people would know something was happening. Creation was celebrating the birth of Jesus into this earth. Nearby in a field, some lowly shepherds got to witness angels appear above them. And they told these shepherds about the good news. And then they celebrated and they sung about how wondrous it is that God was with man. And when they told these shepherds, it became abundantly clear to everyone that God was here for all people. It wasn't just here for the rich or everyone that got it together. He came for all of us. He told these lowly shepherds who then would go start spreading the news after they witnessed the birth of the baby. But Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up. And as he grew up, he did amazing, miraculous things. He did this ministry that was all about helping people understand the relationship with God that God desires for us to have. And then he made it possible. On a cross, he bore your sins and mine, all the things that we've done wrong, and he paid the debt for us, the debt that we owed to join back with God. And then when he rose from the dead, he defeated the bonds of sin and death on us. He reunited us, gave an opportunity for us to reunite with God. He ransomed us so that we could go and be with the Father and we could have this relationship now and forevermore. 
And now God still shows up. He shows up in this world. His miraculous nature, supernatural nature breaks through through you and me as we join together with God. So this week, let us continue seeking after God's miraculous works. Let us say, God, you just tell me the truth. I just want to know the truth. And as God reveals that to us, let us receive it and let us trust in it and let us share it with those around us. This is a wonderful time of year where people use the word Christmas oftentimes without even understanding that it means Christ, meaning Jesus Christ, and Mass, meaning a church service to celebrate Jesus, that we're constantly talking about Jesus this time of year. So let's use that as a door opening up for us to talk to people about the wondrous things that Jesus does still today. We can do that practically through this next step, which is I will ask God to reveal his glorious works to me this week.